morning. Please rise for the reading of God's word. We are in Matthew 24. Matthew 24. Verse 29. We're going through the book of Matthew, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We're in Matthew 24, verse 29. This is Jesus speaking. It says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branches already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Let's pray. Lord, we just take comfort in those words this morning, that heaven and earth will pass away, but your words will by no means pass away. And God, and a Lord, that we are just bombarded with just a million different people's idea of what truth is, of what the purpose of our life is, of what the meaning of life is. God, we are so comforted that your word, Lord, it's like a rock that we can just firmly plan our life on, but According to this verse, Lord, it's, it's even better than a rock because rocks will pass away, but your word will not. And Lord God, we just pray this morning that your word would have its work in our life. Lord, that we would not only be hearers, but doers of your word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, please be seated. We will be having a baptism immediately after the service next week. If you've never been baptized uh, as uh, an adult or uh, or at least conscious of doing it, it may be a better way of saying it. The Bible does teach that, uh, that baptism is something that is done when we realize what we're doing. A baptism, we are baptized, it's representative on the outside of something that's already happened in the inside, and that is a death has taken place. We're dying, we're going underneath the water, then we're being raised to to life when we come up out of the water, and uh, we're going to be having a baptism. A number of people have asked me to be baptized next uh, Sunday, so probably about 45 minutes to an hour after the service, after people have gotten a bite to eat, we're going to go from here to... uh, a swimming pool in Mission Hill, and uh, we're going to have a, a baptism. 
So if you're being baptized, come with a bathing suit, unless you just want me to dunk you with all your clothes. And I'll be happy to do that. Okay, Matthew uh, chapter 24. You know, there's uh, 104 verses in the Old Testament which predict the coming of Jesus Christ, his first coming, the date, the manner, the location, the circumstances, 104 verses. There's over 200 verses uh, in the Bible which describe the second coming, so almost uh, twice as many. I want to start this morning by reading uh, again verse uh, 35. It says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. You know, that's a verse that we hear very often. Uh, I uh, would venture to say that if we... Uh, that you, if I went into a church somewhere in this country and asked 50 people if they've ever heard of that verse, uh, they would say yes. However, if you asked the same 50 people, well, what was Jesus talking about uh, when he said that verse, uh, I think it's quite possible no one would know. But what was he talking about? Well, he was talking about, as we see, he was talking about his return to earth, his second coming, by saying heaven and earth uh, will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Jesus is saying, mark my word, I'm going to the cross to die, but I'm going to return. In fact, the reality of my return is more certain than the reality of the earth around you. You reach out and you touch uh, the uh, earth uh, beneath you, the, the tree next to you, the rocks around you, and my coming back is even more sure than the existence of those things. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word won't. In other words, I am coming back. It's a sure, more sure than what we see around us. And, and you know, I don't know about you, but that, you know, I read stuff like that. That's really heavy, uh, particularly considering how little I have spent in my, you know, Christian life really, really meditating and studying about the return of Jesus, that he, he is so emphasizing uh, this point. And he, so he says he, he's coming back, and, and that should be a source of unspeakable comfort uh, in our lives, of indescribable uh, comfort. Uh, to us. And so this whole chapter, chapter 24, uh, it started with the question uh, by his disciples in verse 3, uh, and, the, uh, and the question was, you know, when? When will, what are the signs uh, of your coming? And Jesus answers uh, the questions by uh, first telling them that there will uh, be birth pangs, in other words, sort of like tremors uh, before an earthquake. He said there will be an increase of war, an increase of disease, an increase of false religion, of natural disturbances like uh, hurricanes and, and earthquakes. And, and then there will be a, a, a great tribulation on earth where the tremors turn into the real thing. And, and verse 21 uh, of Matthew 24 says, The time of tribulation uh, will be such as has not been seen since the beginning of the world, nor ever shall be. And then verse 29 uh, says... It says immediately after the tribulation of those days that the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of heavens will be 
shaken. And so that's described in, in much more detail in Revelation 6 and 16. If you want extra credit, go there. But uh, then he continues in verse uh, 30. He, he says, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with the power with power and great glory. So at the time of Jesus' return to earth, everyone will know. And we talked about last week when we were discussing uh, verses 26 and 27. If someone says to you, uh, you know, the Messiah's come back, uh, he's out in the desert somewhere. Or the Messiah's come back, he's in uh, a private room. Well, don't believe it because verse 27 says it'll be like light, lightning flashing across the sky from east to west. Uh, so uh, Jesus is not going to be hiding out. Everyone's going to know uh, when he comes and, and what will be their reaction. Uh, verse 30 says the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will mourn. The tribes of the earth will mourn. Now, there's a, a passage in the Old Testament that talks about uh, this very thing. Uh, you could say it's a parallel passage. It's in Zechariah chapter 12. If you go back, I'd like you to turn there. Zechariah chapter 12, that's very close to Matthew. Zechariah is the second to last chapter in the Old Testament, and it's just a little to your left. In Zechariah uh, chapter 12, it says, And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me whom they have pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a, for a first born. And this is actually, is, it's referring to the very end of the tribu- tribulation period, just as, uh, just right before, uh, uh, or as Jesus is returning. Look at verse 14. It says, all the families that remain, every family by itself, and their wives by themselves, they will mourn. So everyone who's remaining uh, is going to, is going to mourn. And so, uh, you, why are the people mourning when they see Jesus? What are they mourning about? Well, it's because they realize for the first time that they had spent an entire life rejecting the most precious gift that God had ever given the world. Romans 1, verse 25 says that throughout the world, men and women exchange the truth of God for the lie and worship and serve the created rather than the creator. What Matthew verse 24, verse 25 is saying is this, when Jesus returns, the people who, who remain will see him as he is, pierced body and all, and, and with one accord, they will realize all at once and they'll declare to their own hearts, all at once, simultaneously, you know, they will declare to their own hearts, I've been rejecting the one and only thing that has ever been worth living for. I, I have been rejecting the one person who has loved me infinitely more than anyone has ever loved me. 
And so like Zechariah 12 says, they will see his wounds and it will cut them to the heart because they will realize those wounds, uh, those wounds in his hands, those wounds in his feet, the, 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 the pierced side, I did that. I did that. I inflicted that wound by the rebellion and disobedience of my life. And, and, it, and it says they will mourn. It says they will mourn as one uh, mourns for their only son. I can't Im- uh, imagine losing any of my children, much less uh, losing my only child. Uh, but the kind of mourning that will come in that day over these people will be utterly heart-wrenching. Utterly heart-wrenching. And now you may say, well, what a tragic picture. What a terrible thing. But be careful before you say that. God's thoughts are not man's thoughts. The Bible says as far as the heavens are above the earth are God's thoughts above uh, man's thoughts. In the heart of God, in the mind of God, there's nothing so beautiful as when the eyes of a man are opened and he realizes for the first time just how awesome God is, how, uh, how much God has done for him. And by contrast, how small and puny and, and wretched that the, he is and how terrible his life has been to God. And even worse, that his sin killed God and, 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 and the Son of God. And he, man, responded with utter, total, complete ungratefulness. Uh, when a man realizes that for the first time and his eyes are open and he realizes it, it cuts him to the heart. He cries out to God for mercy. Heaven rejo- rejoices and God is smiling. It's a, it's a beautiful thing when people's eyes are open and they see God for who he really is and they see themselves for who the, they really are. It's a beautiful thing uh, in the eyes of God. When a woman's eyes are finally open and she sees for the first time the, the glory of the cross and she cries out to God, you know, how could I have done this to you? How could I have lived the way I have lived? I have taken your precious gift and I have trampled on it my entire life. Uh, I, I have been defiling your gift. I've been mocking your gift. I've been rejecting your gift. I've been running away from your gift. Uh, nothing as beautiful as the tears uh, that flow out of a heart crying like that. That because the Bible says it's a heart uh, like that that God pours into and, and that God bege- and there is a new relationship, something that was very ugly ser- turned into something beautiful and once was what was once separate, man and God is now joined together. So listen. What you saw in Matthew 24, verse 30, where it says all the tribes of the earth will mourn is what the Bible calls godly repentance. Godly repentance. You know what that means? It means repentance given by God. It's actually defined in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, but stay there in Zechariah 12. You'll see here that it was given by God. What does Zechariah 12, verse 10 say? It says, And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, and they will look on me whom they have pierced. And yes, they will mourn for him. See, it was a God-given 
repentance. It was God-given. It says, what prompted the, the people to mourn as for a firstborn son? It was the grace of God. Verse, beginning of verse 10 says, he said he poured out the spirit of grace. It's the grace of God that leads man to repentance. Even repentance is given to us from God. We can't claim anything when we're before heaven someday. When God says, well, why should I let you into my heaven? We're, we, you know, we're not going to be able to, to offer up one thing because the Bible says even our repentance was given to us as a gift of God. So the people described in Zechariah 12 and Matthew 24, they're not people who are going to be destroyed by Jesus when he, when he comes in the clouds. Uh, they are the people who God has given the grace to open their hearts to Jesus and, and who will spend eternity with him. And, and, and it says in Zechariah verse 1 again, he poured out, poured out the spirit of grace and supplication. What does supplication mean? It means prayer. So, so he gave them the grace to see who Jesus really was, how their sin killed him. They, they saw their wounds. Somehow they're going to see Jesus' wounds as he's coming uh, the second time and, and how they spend uh, their life rejecting him, how they, how they are responsible for his wounds. Uh, but it also says that God gave them the spirit of supplication of prayer, which going, is going to prompt them to cry out for salvation. Now, there's going to be a lot of judgment taking place when Jesus comes back. But it's not these people who are mourning. These people who are mourning, Zechariah 12 says, these are people who are going to be mourning because of the spirit of grace in that, 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 that God circumcised uh, their hearts. Zechariah 12 is all about the salvation of, of, of Judah. So um, whenever someone comes to me and asks for prayer that someone would be saved, you know, I, I, I think sort of, I, I pray a similar thing really as Zechariah chapter 12. It's my prayer that through God's gr- grace, their eyes would be open to how wonderful God is, uh, how, what a wonderful Savior he is, how he, he was pierced for their sin, but also that their eyes would be open to their overwhelming need, their terrible need for a Savior. No one's ever saved unless they recognize that they need a Savior. And so, you know, a lot of what you hear today when uh, in churches, you go into a church and you hear so much about, well, come to Jesus, he'll make your life so much better. And they try to convince uh, people on the basis of how much better their life will be. And that's the argument for coming to Jesus. But the Bible says a real true conversion, real salvation, a Zechariah 12 salvation, is when people, by the spirit of grace, all of a sudden realize they have a terrible need for, for, for God to save them, that they're sinners. And no one's ever saved. No one's ever born again until they recognize they, are, they have an, an, a terrible need, an overwhelming need that only Jesus can satisfy. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And so uh, uh, the picture in Matthew 24, verse 30, the tribes of the earth mourning over their sins. Really, it, it is a beautiful uh, picture. But let's continue. Verse 31 says, And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the earth 
to the other. So here Jesus will gather all the people who had remained faithful uh, during the tribulation. Now the, the church will be removed prior uh, to the tribulation period. That's what the latter part of this chapter is about. Uh, Jesus in the latter part of this chapter says, just as Noah was taken out of the flood, so the church will be taken out of the flood. But uh, there will be many who, the Bible says, who come to Christ uh, during the tribulation uh, period, and Jesus will gather them from the four corners of the earth, and he will establish his kingdom on earth. And so we talked last week about the Lord's Prayer, and and, and when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, well, it's this is what we're praying for. Uh, When we pray that prayer, it's Matthew 24, verses 30 and 31, where Jesus uh, uh, comes uh, on the clouds of heaven with power and great uh, glory, and and he gathers his elect. That's That's what we're praying for when we're praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Now, verse 32 says, now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. So, you, so Jesus says, learn this parable from the fig tree. Now, a lot, of, a lot has been made of this fig tree in verse 32. This poor fig tree, it was just trying to be a fig tree. And people have done all kinds of things to this fig tree, turning it into a, uh, an apple tree and a, uh, an orange tree or even a watermelon tree, even though there's no such thing as a watermelon tree. It, it, was, just, it, it was just trying to be a fig tree. And, and people, I fear, are, ter- are, are trying to turn it all kinds of things. You know, there are places in the Old Testament that the fig represents Israel, so many people believe that it represents Israel here in this verse. But not only that, they believe that when it says in verse 32 where it says there that when its branches become tender and its leaves come out, that refers to the time when Israel was established as a nation in 1948. And then they point to verse 34, which says, Assuredly, I say to you that this generation will by no means pass away until all these things take place. And they say that that means that Jesus will come back during the lifetime of the people who witnessed Israel established as a country in 1948. Now, I personally think that's quite a stretch. It may be true. There are Calvary Chapel pastors and many other good pastors who who teach that. I think it's like a real stretch myself. I I certainly think you can't be dogmatic about that point, meaning I don't see how they can say their interpretation is right and everyone else is wrong. Uh, But some do teach it like that. But, you know, one of the reasons I'm skeptical skeptical about reading uh, uh, these verses like this is, uh, in, in addition to the fact that it just doesn't seem to say that, but, but also some of the people who believe that are the people coming up with very kooky predictions uh, of, of when is of Jesus coming. For example, I shared with you a few weeks ago that when I got saved in 1988, uh, there was a person who wrote a book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Return, in 1988. And I was really glad that I had just gotten saved because the year wasn't over yet. But uh, uh, anyway, people took it real seriously. It published published 3.5 million copies. Uh, There was uh, uh, a lot of people in churches in the the city I lived in at the time. They were taking it very seriously. And uh, 
Anyway, the man's theory was since Jesus said this generation will by no means pass away until all these things take place. Well, he said a biblical generation is 40 years. You add 40 years to 1948, and there you have it, 1988. And so there are many people who have interpreted these verses like that. And and to me, that sort of undermines the very interpretation that they, they keep they keep on getting it wrong, and so you know right after it didn't come he didn't come in 90, 1988 he wrote another book that says eighty nine reasons why he's going to come in 1989 but then people probably stopped uh, buying his book so he quit uh, reading those uh, writing those things but anyway I don't think that when Jesus is referring to the fig tree in verse thirty two it's referring to Israel if you look at the parallel account in Luke uh, Luke twenty one Jesus says when the fig tree and other trees start bringing forth leaves. And so that's a real tough thing for the, the people who think the fig tree is Israel there to, to also come up with an interpretation in, in Luke. Luke twenty one twenty nine. Jesus says, when the fig tree and other trees start bringing forth leaves, you know the summer is near. And he's just making a very simple point. Jesus often used very simple parables to make very simple points. And, and uh, he's saying, look, guys, you know, you're smart enough to know that if a tree is taking on leaves, uh, you know the season is changing. Likewise, if you see with increasing frequency and intensity earthquakes, wars, pestilence, disease, Lawlessness, false religion, if you see an outbreak of unprecedented tribulation, uh, worse than the world has ever seen, you will know that I'm at the door. Really simple. Many times, the worst, the the most common error I usually see when people are are interpreting the Bible is people make things much more complex than they really are. I think he was being very simple here. Uh, And so, but then there is an obvious question that that comes up about uh, verse 34. And this this has stumbled a lot of people. Well, then what does Jesus mean when he says generation? He says in verse 34, Surely I say to you, this generation uh, will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Well, that word, the Greek word there for generation uh, can also be translated nation or race. And so what Jesus is saying is that Israel will not, Israel, because he's speaking to Jewish people, Israel will not pass away. It will not be sort of wiped off the face of the earth before I return again. Now, it's really significant that Jesus said that because ever since Jesus departed the earth, he ascended into heaven, Satan has tried desperately to turn Jesus into a liar by continuously trying to wipe the Jews off the face of the earth. And in AD 70, he, he was able through the Roman general Titus to kill two-thirds of the Jews in the world. He killed a million Jews as, as he was destroying uh, Jerusalem. And, 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 and then since that time, up until the 1930s and 40s in Germany, uh, what is often overlooked, if, if you do a study of the history of I- Israel, horrible persecution over and over and over again through the century. Uh, just hundreds of thousands, millions of Jews being killed throughout. Satan's always tried to do that. Of course, then you have, uh, th- then you have Hitler killing uh, six million Jews. And then we also have uh, the same thing really up to this day. Uh, Satan's really trying to make Jesus into a liar. But uh, Jesus, what does he say? He says, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. It means Satan's never going to be able to do that. And, and, and so because Jesus is going to return. Uh, 
And it says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. So Jesus is saying, just as when the fig tree sprouts, leaves, you know it's summer. Pay attention to the signs of my coming, because when you see them, I am at the door. You know, it's interesting that there were many, many signs given to the people of Israel that Jesus would come the first time. In Daniel chapter 9, it even, uh, it even gives the exact date of his coming. But there are many, many signs, and, 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 and Jesus rebuked his contemporaries, the people who lived with him. He rebuked them for not paying attention to those signs. Because they were not paying attention to them, they wound up rejecting him. And so Jesus says in Matthew 16, verse 2 and 3, he says, When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red, and in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the time. So, you know, there's many Christians today uh, that who are so busy uh, trying to keep up with the world, uh, running as fast as they can after the prize that the world is running after, rat running after a career. Uh, that shines before the world, a uh, house that shines uh, bef- uh, before the world, a car, a car that shines, you know, a girlfriend, a boyfriend that shines, your little buffed up boyfriend, you know, they shine, you know, uh, a bank account and, and a 401k that, that shines. And, and so they're bu- so busy chasing the, the same thing that the world is chasing that they haven't even noticed radical, radical changes on the spiritual landscape. And Jesus is saying, look, just as the fig tree, just as the fig tree changes leaves, just as the sky turns to red, you better pay attention to what is going around uh, you. And so, so many uh, Christians, so many of us are, are running around so busy with life, we're totally and utterly clueless to what's going on around us. And, and, and Jesus is going to show up uh, at some point and, and we're going to go, who are you? What are you doing here? And, and he's going to say, what do you mean what am I doing here? I told you, you know, everything that was going to happen before uh, I came here, and it's all been happening. And you've been so busy, but you've been so busy chasing the very thing the world are, 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 is chasing after, you haven't noticed. So Jesus is saying to you and me, pay attention. You know, the book of Daniel, uh, chapter 12, verse 4, a little plug for Scott's uh, home fellowship is going to start this uh, Friday. Uh, on the book of uh, Daniel. It says that in the latter days, just before the return of the Messiah, it says many will run to and fro and, and knowledge will increase. Well, if you do a word study, a Hebrew word study of to and fro there, uh, it really what it means, it, it's the concept of, uh, there's similar passage in Ezekiel with, with angels going to and fro. fro. It, it's, a, it's the concept of darting to and fro, kind of like a, a hummingbird, uh, very rapid. Uh, in fact, another uh, translation could be lashed to and fro, almost like a whip or, or shooting is, is actually a, another translation, uh, to and fro. So the, 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 the concept is that in the latter days, men and women, they'll be traveling very, very fast from place to place. Now, in the 16, late 1600s and early 1700s, uh, there was a gentleman by the name of Sir Isaac Newton. You probably 
remember him from your physics class that you got a D minus in. But uh, anyway, uh, it was not an exaggeration. It's not an exaggeration to say that uh, Isaac Newton is one of the smartest people who ever lived. And guess what? He was a God-fearing man, and he believed the Bible. And he, he, he was a, a mathematical genius. Uh, he, uh, among other things, he discovered the law of gravity, but, you know, he couldn't figure out some things he read about in the Bible. And, 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 and he took the, very seriously uh, the words about Jesus' return, and, and he did a whole study on the book of Daniel, chapter 12, that in the latter days many will run to and fro. So here's a guy who is a smart, one of the smartest men who ever lived who's taking the Bible Literally. And, and, and so, and, and he's looking at it, and he scratched his head, and he couldn't figure out the law of gravity. I mean, he could figure out the law of gravity, but he couldn't figure out how men would be able to travel at the speed that the Hebrew said, the Hebrew in the Bible said that men would be traveling right before Jesus returned. But anyway, he simply had to trust in what he was reading. So he concluded, he said, I, don't, I know this doesn't make sense, but according to my reading of this verse, uh, men and women... Right before Jesus' return, they'll be traveling up to 50 miles an hour to and fro. This is in writing. You can go read this. This is what Isaac Newton said. And, you know, that's just such a convicting thing to me when I read that because can you imagine the godliness and the humility of a man? For a man of science to come to that conclusion, even though scientifically he couldn't prove it at the time it made no sense but he believed in the bible now a contemporary of isaac newton was a guy that by the name of voltaire voltaire is someone sometimes called the uh, father of in the enlightenment he could also be called the father of agnosticism and he uh, thought Christianity was ridiculous, and he wrote books trying to prove that. I'll read a little bit from one of those books in a second. Uh, he believed Christianity would be, within 100 years of his death, would, would be completely wiped off the face of the earth. And 100 years later, after his death, the Geneva Bible Society took over his home and was distributing Bibles from his home. I mean, you know, God has a sense of humor. But anyway, uh, Voltaire was a, a contemporary of Isaac Newton, and he just relentlessly mocked the man. And, you know, he's the father in the Enlightenment. And, and please don't take this the wrong way, but I just can't help but say this. You know, he, he's practically worshipped here in Boston, this guy Voltaire. He really is. I, I'm perfectly serious. Uh, and yet even his admirers admit he was one of the most self-indulgent, egotistical. He was also a notorious adulterer. And, and, and you've got to ask yourself, why do people put so much credence you know, in a guy who lived his life like this. I mean, you know, just being in ministry and seeing what adultery alone, how stupid that is. I mean, even an atheist, if they just saw the life and what happens to adulterers, how incredibly stupid and unwise that is. Yet they can just pour their faith into this man. I was just reading an article this week about, uh, uh, about this magazine gushing over uh, Voltaire. Uh, anyway, uh, he, he uh, was relentlessly mocking Isaac Newton's Christianity, and he, he singled out this belief uh, in 
the return of Jesus, Newton's return of Jesus, kind of like a lot of people are mocked today. Bill Moyers was on the news a while back mocking how Christians believe in the rapture. And so he singled out Newton's belief in the return of Jesus and the theory that people would be able to travel at 50 miles an hour. Listen to, uh, listen to I now quote uh, our friend Voltaire. It says, look at the mighty mind of Newton. When he got into his old age, he began to study the book called the Bible, and it seems in order to credit it, its fabulous nonsense, we must believe, says Newton, that the knowledge of mankind will be so increased that he, we shall be able to travel 50 miles an hour. And, and actually, Voltaire said that everyone knows that if you go that fast, your heart will stop. And so another one of uh, his flawless predictions. But anyway, uh, people today are traveling, as you know, five, six, seven hundred miles an hour. And where are they going? They're going to and fro. You know, they really are. It's like such an incredibly good picture of this world. Uh, Have you ever seen one of those... uh and those airline magazines where they have, you know, Continental or whatever, and there's like a city. I think their city is Newark, their hub, and there's like 300 lines coming out of Newark, and it's going to all over the world, and you just get this picture to and fro, you know, five, six, eight hundred miles an hour, and it's just such a, a perfect picture. But back then, life was really slow, and they, that didn't make any sense to them. But, but remember... Don't forget what we're talking about. Daniel said in the latter days, men will be darting forth to and fro at very high speeds. Okay? And so the other thing that it says in Daniel chapter 12 is that in the last days, knowledge will increase. Now, how true is that? I mean, on the other side of the world, in Bangladesh, some chicken or something will have a, 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 or a hen will have a chicken, a baby chicken with two heads, and we're reading about it the next morning, you know, or by the time the sun sets. And, 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 and you know, the, the, the increase in knowledge is just incredible. I mean, I have so much information stuffed into my head from the Internet, pagers, Blackberries, you know, wireless stuff. My head's about to explode. I, I mean, we were not made to have this much knowledge packed into our head. I mean, is knowledge increasing uh, or what? Now, listen to this. Consider this. At the time of Newton and Voltaire, there was another guy. I shouldn't call him a guy. This guy was a gentleman. His name was John uh, Milton, and he was one of, also, no exaggeration to say, he was one of the most educated, scholarly, uh, wise people who ever lived. He, he, he wrote Paradise uh, Lost. Anyone in here ever read Paradise Lost? Anyone? One. Raise your hand. Right here, Eric, get his autograph after the service. He's read paragraph. It's it's considered one of the most outstanding uh, pieces of literature ever. It's it's about total biblical Christianity, paradise lost. Uh, But anyway, this guy, John Milton, he was reputed to be so educated at the time, it was reputed that he had read every single book in the world. In the known world, can you imagine that? He read every book, this guy. Uh, do any reading? Yeah, I've read every... I don't know. No, I don't. I, I've already read everything. But uh, anyway, um, today it would take 10,000 lifetimes to read every book. You know, I was just thinking, well, you know, uh, how about knowledge of aardvarks? And so I went to Google and I put in the word aardvarks. You know how many hits? 12 million. So forget about reading all the books in, in, in the whole world. You can spend the rest of your life just reading about aardvarks. And that's all you would read. So is the knowledge increasing or what? You know, 
Jesus is saying in Daniel chapter 12, and he's saying in, in, when you see the fig tree sprout its leaves, in a hundred, a hundred years ago, we, you know, we went around attacking our enemies with rifles, and we had to do so within about a hundred yards. Today, from a thousand miles away, we just guide a missile into a smokestack somewhere. We do the same thing with brain tumors. Just 20 years ago, if a small child had a large brain tumor, uh, he or she was dead or severely brain damaged. Well, my daughter, uh, a couple of years ago, had, the doctor said, one of the biggest brain tumors he had ever seen. He was one of the, at Children's Hospital, one of the best doctors in the world. And he drilled a little hole in the back of her head and blew out the whole thing with a, a laser. Now, that they're not, that's not always, they're, it's not always successful, but the fact that they can do that is incredible just in, in, in 20 years. They're cloning animals. I mean, today you speak into a computer and your words uh, appear on the, sp- uh, on, the, on the screen. You're talking to a phone and you have an intelligent conversation with a robot, you know. Uh, you know and and t- today I was, you know, you, you can go to a fertility clinic and if you want a boy... You can have a boy. If you want a girl, you can have a girl. You can ask them for color, height and skin, uh, height and, and the color of hair. And, uh, you know, there's no guarantee there. But who would have dreamed a, a hundred years ago that you could do things like that? So the knowledge, the knowledge of the world uh, will increase. Jesus says, what does he say? Pay attention when you see all these things. Don't, Christians, don't stick your head in the sand. Don't stick your head in the sand. Pay attention. Now, throughout the Bible, we are told that, you know, this should have an effect on our life. This should have an effect of, on our life. When we see the things around us, Jesus said, you know, raise your eyes to heaven because your redemption is near. And, and it should be, First John says, anyone who has this hope will, should purify themselves. And I was just reading this morning in James chapter 5, James is saying, you also be uh, patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. He's saying, do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Now, I never really quite understood that verse until really this morning where I, I sort of connected the dots to, from that verse to the verse we just read in Matthew 24, where Jesus is saying, just as the fig, fig tree sprouts its leaf, so when you see the signs, everything take place that I'm talking about, know that I'm at the door. And, and so what James is saying is that you need to love one another. You need to quit grumbling against one another. When, when, you know, when the world comes into your c- community, they need to know you are Christians by your love for one another. And, and don't murmur because Jesus is at the door. You don't want... Jesus to come knock and come through that door when you're murmuring against a brother or sister in Christ. That's what he's saying. And again, 1 John says, this hope, we should be purifying ourselves because of this hope. Jesus is saying, um, he's saying he's at the door. So in Matthew, uh, in Matthew 24, uh, we actually will... Uh, pick things up uh, next week in, in verse 36 where it starts talking. Jesus sort of, uh, he sort of concludes and then he goes back and he starts talking about um, how the church is going to be taken out of this tribulation. 
Uh, but he keeps on repeating, watch therefore, for you do not know that hour that your Lord is coming. So let us just go out this week and this very day and live our life uh, with the expectation of his coming. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for your word. And I just pray, Lord, uh, in thanks that, uh, that your word is there, Lord, not as a burden, not as a weight, Lord, but as something that comforts us and that, Lord God, once it's in our heart, there's just a purifying, Lord, and, and, and how, how we seek to purify ourselves in light of your coming, Lord, how we seek to just hunger and thirst all the more, Lord God. But, Lord, I just think of Zechariah 12, how we need your grace to see you as you really are. How we need your grace, Lord God, to see us how we really are. How we need your grace to understand our need for your salvation. Lord, you said there would come a time when the Father would separate worshipers who worship you in spirit and in truth. And Lord, we want to become all the more, Lord, worshipers in spirit and in truth. People who, men and women who, and boys and girls who worship you with our lives in spirit and in truth. God, we just thank you this morning for revealing to us who you are. God, which just makes us worship you all the more. And God, we love you and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, please remember communion service tonight. Please join us. And also, if you need prayer, please come up. God bless you.